This episode is brought to you by Quests for Authenticity, a confidence coaching program that uses D&D to help you become just as confident in real life as your characters are at the game table. Visit www.questsforauthenticity.com to learn how the program helps people stop being an NPC in somebody else's story and become the hero of their own, or to take a free quiz that will stat you as a level one character in real life. Welcome to the Compendium, a resource designed to help you spend less time learning D&D and more time actually playing. Welcome back to the Compendium. We are here bringing you another class breakdown. This week we are diving into the clerics. Um, clerics are, I think, a little bit nice because we're going to be rewinding on the complexity just a little bit from the last couple that we had built up to. Um, and clerics are, I think, one of them potentially considered one of the more important classes in D&D. They actually appear um, third in the player's handbook for a really good reason. It's done alphabetically and it starts with the letter C. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, clerics are important. They're kind of known as the healer. And as you've all, I'm sure you've heard, even if you're new to D&D, there's always the trope of the, the healer in the party. Um, and that is really where the, the cleric is going to excel. Yeah, exactly. And cleric also has the advantage of being literally the oldest class in D&D. Was it always called the cleric? It was always called the cleric. Oh, I didn't even get a rebranding. All right. Yeah, because it was like, it was fighting man, <laughs> <laughs> magic user, thief, and then cleric and it's come a long way in the in the intervening time but it is more or less more or less unchanged its name has always been there though so that's kind of nice right so i'm i'm kind of excited to dive into this um we are going to kind of give an overview of what clerics are like why like their history where they come from um and then do your basic build of a cleric what to expect from your vanilla um basic cleric and then dive into all of the different divine domains um, that you can choose for your cleric. And there is a lot of them. And so we're going to kind of give an overview yes. of all of those. So let's just start out by talking about what is a cleric. Let's break down what that word kind of mean, what means, what it implies, the job, I guess, that it comes with. And kind of in the, in the lore, the story, if you're playing a, a cleric character, um, what the history would be to build up to that job, I guess. Yeah. So a cleric is someone who files paperwork, basically. Um, no, <laughs> uh, I remember hearing about the cleric for the first time back in the late 80s when I first started playing D&D. And I was very confused about what they were. Uh, and someone was like, no, it's like a priest. I'm like, oh, OK, OK. That, that makes a lot, lot more sense. Um, thematically, the cleric is a great class because it's a full caster that also has a lot of martial prowess, not as much as some of the others, but it's always been that kind of uh, dual purpose uh, kind of um, kind of class because yes, their faith and their magic and their healing and, uh, and all of that has always been important, but they were never as let's say helpless martially or in melee as some of the others, like the wizard has always kind of, traditionally been so yeah um the cleric is basically they are uh worshipers of a deity um and typically part of a organized system of religion with temples and shrines and and tenets and all these kinds of things 
uh, and they fit great into any kind of world or setting because there's always going to be these different kinds of deities. And unlike with a paladin who could potentially follow a code or an ideal without mm-hmm. a god, a cleric really does ha- really has taken like the mainline track of deity worship or god worship and gets their spells straight from that god as opposed to like the warlock kind of like is going around the side to do that or druids or rangers who worship the nature uh or the primal sources these really guys have like the main uh access to the gods right and you you kind of implied it with what you said but i want to dispel um i think what could be a very very common misconception i know i had it at first which is cleric equals good that's not necessarily no. true you you subscribe to a religion you follow mm. and and worship a deity that doesn't mean that the deity is a a good helpful loving kind deity the deity can be a lot of different things. So just because you're picking a cleric doesn't necessarily mean that you're now having to be railroaded into this like kind, loving, vanilla character. Not it at it all. can really be very, very diverse within that role. Right. And the gods of D&D, typically speaking, I mean, everyone can run them the way they want, but they really do take their cues from like the Greek and Roman pantheons and even Egyptian pantheons where there's a multitude of gods that each have their own sphere or domain. Right. So uh, if you think even like uh, if you think about the um, Norse gods, like before Marvel got a hold of them and really (laughs) kind of changed some things up. But like, you know, there was the god of rain and storms right there in Greek mythology. There's the god of fire and of creativity of the sky and lightning there's the god of uh fidelity and uh and love and of war and of crops and of the dead and all those things and so if you kind of have like a percy jackson mentality Mm -hmm. going into it you're like okay i I get this uh and also uh, i feel like the greek uh pantheons and roman pantheons are a really good touch point because the gods described in those cultures are capricious and flawed and very human in many ways in their squabbles and wants and desires and kind of pettiness almost. And so it's uh, not like, as you were kind of referencing, like a lot of the monotheistic face of earth where they're paragons of like all things and all things good and Mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff and of law, uh, but rather it's all divvied up into different domains. And that's a key word that the cleric class uses is domains. What is the, um, the attribute portfolio of the deity that you worship. Right. It's almost like gang wars, but not yeah. right? where all of these different high level people have well, their turf yeah. and they have their followers. And that's, that's kind of like conceptually how D and D presents it. Um, and so it's a lot different than I think we're, we're um, conditioned to see it as in our yes. everyday world. Um, how do you say that people become clerics? Is that something where you are um, you know, you're like, I don't want to say indentured to servitude, but you're raised in the temple and your parents are like, okay, you're going to be conditioned and trained and raised for this role. Is that something where you can just find this God and be like, man, I really believe in you. I am going to become your, your most devout follower. Um, Let's talk a little bit about some, some, some ideas we can give people for how you can get into becoming a cleric. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's always the kind of, like you mentioned, the obvious track of growing up in that faith. And then when a character, you know, comes of age of making their own decisions and things that they decide that they're going to pledge their life to the service of their God or their church or their deity uh, that they were raised in. And what's amazing about that is it doesn't require, you know, study or training like a wizard does, uh, nor were you born with it like a sword where you just kind of you know continue on that path and are part of that religion and it is a main focus in your life so yeah so someone can you know grow up in the the you know the faith of dumathoin uh a god of the dwarves uh and just be you know a very ardent worshiper and be part of the rituals and worship and feast days and all the stuff that comes with that religion and become a cleric other people could come to it later in life you know that there could be something in the background that uh you know that there's a calamity where you know just crops aren't growing and the whole countryside is just really uh down on their luck and they're a farmer and they start just reaching out to you know some god they've heard about that was in charge of crops and rains and 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 being bountiful and start praying and worshiping and become come to it that way where it's less structured um mm-hmm. though typically i think in most games and in even in the fiction of D, we see typically that the face of D do have structure it, it's not um free form uh jazz like us like sometimes in our world there typically is a structure but not always and, and i think there are some um there are some gods that are presented in player's handbook and other source material that don't have a huge hierarchy but there's some especially if they those deities aren't worshipped in uh, in public like perhaps a god of death um mm. or of undeath uh and things like that or god of travelers and luck like there's not a big hierarchy and established infrastructure when it comes to those so there's a couple ways to do it uh but the the thing is is there really does need to be a a god there really does need to be at least some understanding of what your god teaches and what their kind of tenets are and I think there's actually some really good material in the Dungeon Master's Guide on that. But yeah, that's th- those are kind of the most common ways uh, to right. do it. And, and you probably go back too also to listen to our um, conversations on the Warlock and the Paladin. And some of those things we talked about there could easily be adapted. It's just not mm-hmm. as uh, common in what I've seen at least, but absolutely able to do. Right. And and I mean, you kind of touched on it with talking about needing to know like, okay, what is this God all about and what is their purpose? Um, part of what could be very uh, common for a, a call to adventure for a, you're talking about a level one cleric would be spreading the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. They're going out yeah. to, to do this God's bidding or to uh, bring the word of this deity to other villages, other places. And they want to go adventuring to these unexplored locations that are dangerous because that's where their God sees them as being needed most. Um, and so you could very easily find a way to um, incorporate that class into your plot hook for why you're an adventurer too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just to like uh, fourth edition was really good about giving those tenants and things. Um, but uh, in D&D 5e, they don't do it quite as much. 
but um, it, you can go online and find like, you know, just type in gods of D and D and there's some really good ones uh, that you can find. Uh, I like the descriptions that 4E use actually a lot. Like there's a Vondra, the goddess of change, luck and travel, Panthe- uh, patron of halflings, uh, revered by rogues, travelers and merchants. Uh, and even tells like who she hates, uh, you know, um, and let me see here if it gives like, you know, um, like what their tenants are. I, I, I remember in the fourth edition book, they would do that. Um, but, uh, it would say stuff like, uh, those, uh, free those from, uh, others who would oppress their freedom, you know, like you give like almost like how in the backgrounds and D and D they give you like you know, what's a flaw, what's a um, a, a relationship, a bond, mm-hmm. ideal, yeah. And they would kind of do that with the different uh, gods of D and D, which I thought was pretty cool. Thanks for equipping the compendium. We hope you enjoyed listening in to the conversation this week. If you haven't done so already, it would help us out if you take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a good review. We hope to see you back in a few days for the next episode, where we'll be continuing our discussion delving further into the world of D&D.